Well, you know, when I get an idea in my head, I have a hard time letting go of it. And so this whole sermon series on <clears throat> teachings of Jesus uh, was coming up to Advent. And I still hadn't run out of things Jesus had said. So I thought, well, maybe I'll just keep going. If, if Jesus has more to say, maybe I'll keep following along in what he was saying. But it's Christmas, and how can you not? So I had this idea, maybe... Maybe Jesus taught stuff about himself. And lo and behold, um, there's a bunch of stuff in the Bible where Jesus is talking about himself. So I can keep the theme of Jesus' lessons, yet turn to the Advent spirit. And today you heard one of them. This is from uh, the Gospel of John where Jesus has a number of I am sayings that John remembers about Jesus. So we're gonna be looking at those during our Advent season. And, and what better one to use to kick it off on a communion Sunday than I am the bread of life. So I want you on these four Advent Sundays to, to picture ourselves hurrying to Bethlehem upon the encouraging word of, of angels and shepherds and magis and, and friends, and we find the stable, and we go in and we gather around the manger, and gazing down upon this new little baby, we wonder about all we've been told treasuring it in our hearts, considering what might it mean? What might God be up to if this is true? If this baby in this manger is the Lord of Lords and the Prince of Princes. Ah, so this Bethlehem babe, this child is the long foretold Messiah, we say. And since we're 20 centuries hence, we look down there and we say, he is the bread of life. He is the true vine. He is the light of the world. He is the good shepherd. He is the way, the truth, and the life. This is what we moderns, I think, should be about as we come to the creche, as we come to the manger these 20 centuries hence. And in our time traveling, we gaze down at this Bethlehem babe. All of that in this new life nestled once in a crib and now in our hearts, in our souls. Oh, come, let us adore him. Our hope, our peace, our joy, our love, our faith. And the word became flesh and lived among us, 
and we have seen his glory, the glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. The gift of God, huh? For the people of God. Thanks be to God. So let's dig in and ponder about these teachings. Today's scripture follows on Jesus' feeding of the 5,000, and it's near Passover time, so don't forget that as the context of what he has to say. And after that feeding, and after all the leftovers are gathered and put in the fridge with the promise that we're going to use them tomorrow and not forget about them, Jesus goes off to the mountainside, we're told. And his disciples get in a boat and go off on the Sea of Galilee over to Capernaum. And later in that night, Jesus walks on water and joins up with his disciples amid a storm, and they land safely on that other side at Capernaum. And lo and behold, the crowd has tracked their motions and are there awaiting them. And so Jesus engages the crowd again and reminds them of the story of Moses and manna because they're saying, hey, you got any bread left over from yesterday that we can have today? He talks about how that feeding by Moses was a provision of God for their ancestors traveling in the wilderness Pick up any hints here as you're listening, he says under his breath. It was a saving grace, helping them survive a difficult time, giving them sustenance. Yet it was perishable food, friends, and not the sustenance of eternal life. The desert... Israelites were told that they could not stockpile the manna. They had to go out each day and trust that God would provide it. So it was to be an exercise in faith, a drill, a practicing of faith daily. You love me? You trust me? I'll feed you tomorrow. Go to bed, wake up, it'll be there. Do you trust me? It'll be there. I will sustain you in your trial. And we're told that Jesus did in whatever miraculous way that was of the provision of manna in the desert. The crowd misses the point of Jesus' analogy of Moses at Passover time, manna, their feeding in abundance yesterday at Jesus' hands, and what he's saying. And they say, hey, we want some of that eternal food. We want that right now. Can you give us that right now? Because then we won't have to ask you tomorrow for food. We'll have all our food right now. And Jesus says, well, friends, it's me. 
Jesus says it's him, through him, that one receives this eternal life. I am the bread of life, he says. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry. And whoever believes in me, they will never be thirsty. And the crowd says, that's like a bridge too far. That sounds like a real stretch. Give us a sign. Would you give us a sign that that's true? Now recall that they're asking Jesus for a sign. This is less than 24 hours after he's just fed 5,000 of them. And I imagine this is not in Scripture. It's in Dilger's Scripture. I imagine Jesus shakes his head, he throws up his hand, and whatever is the ancient parlance of the day says, wow, really? Well, as we look at the manger and we hear this story of the bread of life, what do we see? What do we believe possible? Could, could this Bethlehem babe really be the bread of life? So first off, in considering that, we need to understand the fullness that we are after. This is basic to the whole process. Rockefeller had an exchange on wealth and satisfaction. He was asked, how much money, Rocky, is enough? And he responded saying, just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. And he had just about all of it at the time, didn't he? And not to ruin our Thanksgiving feast, fond memories, but have any of you, maybe even this year, ever been so full that it's clear you're not satisfied? Sometimes too much stuff actually makes you less satisfied. So in dealing with Jesus, we're seeking to be full in the right way. A fullness that really satisfies, draws us towards the consciousness and the sensation of wholeness about ourselves. And this comes from growing towards spiritual maturity by way of Jesus. Second, interestingly, the, the bread of life image points to the Eucharist. The general metaphor takes on some real specificity here. The sacramental mystery of conveying Jesus through the most common of elements, bread and wine or, or juice as we use. Sarah Miles in her great book, 
take this bread, speaks beautifully of this power. She's a struggling agnostic turned to believer through working on mission projects through the church that happens to be in her neighborhood when she gets out of her days of abuse. And through the power of communion, the communion of the people and the communion of the sacrament, she comes back to life. She writes, the table is a threshold, a paper-thin place, luminous, where heaven and human meet. And again, Christianity wasn't an argument I could win or I could even resolve. It wasn't a thesis. It was a mystery that I was finally willing to swallow. I was loved by a big love. In the midst of my suffering, of hunger, and even of death, I was loved by a bigger love. Hallelujah, she writes. Jesus was speaking more of spirituality than, than physicality. Yet truthfully, you know, he was speaking about spirituality that abided in and transformed physicality. Eternal life is found in embracing love letting it affect and transform you, and then giving it expression through your thoughts, through your words, through your deeds. Letting Jesus live in you and move through you. Letting love lead. Finding transcendent love heals the hurts and it fills the holes. It makes the creature and sustains life. The bread that satisfies, the drink that ends the thirst. Rob Fouquet, in his book, The God We Can Know, writes, we discover the value of the journey when we make Christ our sustenance for the journey. When Jesus is my bread of life, I can let go of that need to get all I can for myself and have life my way. I am free to give, to share, and to enjoy. I can say to God, Lord, you've already given me what I need for satisfaction. So I'm just going to enjoy it and look for ways to share it. Letting love lead indeed. Amen.